What we need to help people see is that we are concerned about them. We're not trying to push our agenda on them. We are concerned that the transgender ideology is itself harmful. This, 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 Let's be honest. Talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world. But now, the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. Welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. It is my pleasure and it's my honor to bring on another great friend of mine. And in fact, I got to spend uh, pretty much three or four days of intensive time with this particular person. And I just, not only did I fall in love with her mind of who she is, she's so impressive. And one of the things that the honor of doing what I do is to be around impressive people that are significant and God has used them for the kingdom for significant work. And this person was probably one of the most intriguing, significant. I, you know, I had to introduce her one time in front of a school and there was just not enough adjectives um, to describe her. She's so impressive. Uh, she's got so many great things to say. And her name is Nancy Piercy, uh, Professor Piercy. Uh, she's the author of Love Thy Body, Answering Hard Questions About Life and Sexuality. That's the book we're going to talk about today. But she's got so many other books that have been so significant in my life and my wife's life that I give it out. Finding Truth is one of them, Saving Leonardo, The Soul of Science. Um, she's one, I mean, I could go through the, the, the bio, but it's just so impressive. And, and in fact, she's one of the most well-known people in the world that I travel in. I mean, everybody knows who for Professor Nancy Piercy is. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for that very generous introduction. I appreciate it. Well, you're so fun and you bring so much to the table. And I've been wanting to bring you on uh, just to introduce you to uh, people in my state who you are. And your books are so good and so helpful and so readable. Uh, they're not one of those. It's like Gary Habermas's stuff. I can hand them to anybody. And I know not only are they readable, uh, but they're also this great academics. You can trust it. You can learn so much from it. And it's it's cutting edge stuff. It's not rekin. It's not just rehash of other stuff. This is stuff that the church can use. And today we're gonna work. We're gonna talk about your book, Love Thy Body. Can you give me like a quick, like a few minutes of what that book is? What's its mission? What's its thesis? And why did you why did you feel like you had to write it now? Right. The book Love Thy Body is. Uh, about the cutting-edge moral issues of our day, things like abortion, assisted suicide, homosexuality, transgenderism, and so on. Today, many people are no longer asking, is Christianity true? They're asking, why are Christians such bigots? And so my goal in, in the book is to give people the tools to debunk those negative stereotypes that are so common. And why write it? Well, it, it's in the news. Let me... Let me um, just mention a few things. I decided to collect a few news items for this interview. And, you know, drag queens, drag queen story hours in libraries, in public libraries. Uh, what's in the news a lot is male-bodied trans persons. In other words, um, men who claim a transgender identity are dominating women's sports. Kids are coming home from school saying, my teacher said there's no such thing as boys and girls. And here's one that just came out today. 
uh, Madison, Wisconsin school district has established a policy that uh, they will, this, this is their word, they will disrupt the gender binary and they will correct anyone who uses gender that reinforces the gender binary. And here's a book that they distributed, a, a quote from a book they distributed to teachers all the way down to kindergarten teachers to, uh, to distribute to their, to their students. And it says, quote, everyone has the right to choose their own gender by listening to their own heart and mind. Everyone gets to choose if they are a girl or a boy or both or neither or something else. And no one gets to choose it for them. So that's what's being taught in the public schools today. And Christians need to be equipped on how to answer these issues. But okay, wait a minute though. You say you say that, but many people would turn around and say that's a negative view. What right do we have um, to, to speak against that? You know, they would say things like we're just um, we're a bunch of Puritans here. You know, we're we're trying to, or they will say things like we're we're this is an old ethic. I mean, this is an old morality uh, that really tried to push you know a certain a certain group's morality on another. I mean, what do you what, what's your response to those type of people? Right. What we need to help people to see is that we are concerned about them. We're not trying to push our agenda on them. We are concerned that the transgender ideology is itself harmful. Um, it, it estranges people from their own body. The language of transgender activists is explicitly that gender has nothing to do with biological sex. A BBC documentary says that the heart of the debate is the idea that your mind can be at war with your body. At war with your body. This is internal self-alienation. Mm. These people are very troubled. And, of course, what their point of view is in that war, that war between the mind and the body, it's the mind that wins. And that's why kids down to kindergarten today are being told that their body is not part of their authentic self. Wow. It tells them nothing about who they are. So our response to that should be, why accept such an extreme devaluation of the body? I recently read an interview with a 14-year-old girl who had lived as a trans boy for three years, from age 11, and then reclaimed her identity as a girl. She said, the turning point came, and this is a direct quote, when I realized it's not conversion therapy to learn to love your body. And that interview came out after my book. I'd already gone to print, but it would have been a great quote for a book titled Love Thy Body. So even, sec and this, by the way, it was on a very secular liberal website, this interview with a 14-year-old girl. And it's interesting that even secular people are starting to say that transgenderism expresses body hatred. And that's the, that's the message we need to get across, is that we're, we're, endorsing and promoting an ethic that actually respects your body, that call, calls you into self-integration instead of self-alienation, and that says your body is important, your body is significant, it's, it's an authentic part of who you are, hmm. and the Christian ethic is based on on loving thy body, on respecting who we are biologically. So you've done a lot of work on worldview. Of course, you know, you're, you got 
you're involved with the, kind of a Schaefer in type approach. I've heard you talk about worldview. So in this, what worldview, what, what is the worldview that's promoting these ideas of transgendered, you know, issues and you're different than your body? Uh, is this just an old worldview? Is this a new worldview? I mean, what are we looking at here? It's, it's an old worldview. And it's, it's the idea that, um, that your body has no particular value or significance. And, of course, you can trace that back, back to the ancient Greeks and Gnostics, but in its current form, it's influenced even more by Darwinism, because essentially what Darwinism says that nature is a product of mindless, purposeless forces, and therefore the body has no intrinsic purpose that we're morally ob- obligated to respect. Mm. And, that, and therefore, here's the logic. If the body has no intrinsic purpose, then the mind is free to use it any way it wants. Oh, I see. And um, that's actually how homosexuality is defended by um, a very outspoken lesbian named Camille Paglia, uh, whose name is probably familiar to you. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of people read Camille Paglia because even though she's a, a, a feminist and a lesbian. <laughs> She doesn't accept the typical feminist line that sex is just a social construction. She says, no, no, no. Nature made us male and female. Humans are a sexually reproducing species. But then she asks, and these are her words, she says, why not define nature? After all, fate, not God, has given us this flesh. We have absolute claim to our bodies and may do with them as we see fit. So that's that's the worldview behind it. If, if your body has no intrinsic purpose or dignity, then the body, then the mind can override it to the point of actually contradicting it. Like in homosexuality, it's contradicting the natural orientation of men toward women and women toward men. In transgenderism, it's, the mind overrides the body to the point of, well, I'll, I'll change my body. So the Christian worldview, the Christian worldview, in contrast, says nature exhibits a design, a plan, an order, a purpose. Mm. And when we live in harmony with that purpose, we are going to be healthier and happier. I had in the in Love Day Body, I tell a story of a woman named Jean who lived as a lesbian for several years and today is married to a man. You have to say that now, married to a man and has two children. And she says, the turning point came when I finally came to trust that God had made me female for a reason, that there was a purpose for it. And she said, I wanted to honor my body by living in accord with the Creator's design. Mm-hmm. And so that's the language we need to use. Um, we, I think people have this stereotype that Christians are out there saying, it's wrong, it's a sin, don't do it, and there's something wrong with you. And so we need to change our language. We need to change it to trust that God had a reason. Honor my body, living in harmony, or as she put it, living in accord with the Creator's design. So uh, that's a lot of my book is helping people to change their language. If you get down to the underlying worldview, you will discover that the Christian worldview gives our physical body much higher dignity than any other worldview. 
dignity is interesting. So Ronald Nash, uh, there was a book called World Music in, in Conflict where he brings up the idea of, you know, you're looking for consistency and comprehensiveness as, a, as a, at least a test of worldview. So in that worldview that you're talking about, uh, the one that denies your connection between self and who you are and who your body is, uh, you say this in the book too, that there's, there's these connect, there are consistent, you have, you have to look for a worldview that's comprehensive across all the subjects, and it has to talk about those things consistently. So in that worldview, the transgendered kind of worldview that they're involved in, or the homosexual, that whole issue, um, what's their view of science and nature? I mean, because apparently their ethics are derived from how they view science, how they view the rest of the world. Apparently there's an inconsistency there, right? Yes, definitely. And uh, In other words, if you deny bio- biology, you are denying science. And it's, it starts with, well, um, in my book I cover abortion, and it's very easy to see there that, that uh, to be pro-abortion is to be anti-science. Because if you read the professional bioethicists and embryologists and biologists, you'll find that the professional scientists agree that life begins at conception. The evidence from science, from genetics and DNA is just too strong to deny it. So... So how do they get around that and support abortion? Interesting. What they say is being human, okay, we, we agree that you, you're, you're human from conception, but being human is not enough to qualify for legal protection or for moral status. The fetus has to earn the right to life by becoming a person, mm. defined in terms of mental abilities, a certain level of self-awareness, cognitive functioning, and so on. But do you see what that's saying? It's saying that there's biologically you are human but so what as long as you're just human you're just a piece of matter that can be um, killed for, for no reason any reason or no reason can be used for experimentation can be tinkered with genetically it can be picked through for sellable body parts like Planned Parenthood does Goodness. and then tossed out with the other medical waste so what they're saying is that there's a, a body the body uh, the, the dualism, the divide between the body and the person shows up in abortion as you know, you're, you're human biologically, what we know by science, but you're not a person until sometime later. Oh, man, so you're destroying all kinds of human rights. And that, that finds itself in things like euthanasia, right? Exactly. It's the same reasoning in reverse. There it's if you lose a certain level of cognitive functioning, wow. then you are no longer a person. And you can be unplugged, your food and water discontinued, um, your, your organs harvested, and so on. So once again, being human is no longer enough for human rights. <laughs> it's so disconnected, though. You, you can see how, you know, you look, you're looking for comprehensiveness and consistency in a worldview. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say a certain people's side, but my goodness. I mean, that seems like that worldview is in that ethic or whatever is just massively inconsistent. Are they borrowing from ours in order to make, you know, cause it seems like the same people that promote abortion are the same people that are crying out injustices everywhere. Those have to be connected, right? You're assuming that they're consistent. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that Schaefer uh, taught us that I think is one of the most important things to come out of his work is that there's a divided concept of truth. The secular world holds a divided concept of truth. And so they can hold, uh, you know, he used the um, metaphor of two stories in a building. And so science 
and what we can know objectively and empirically is in the lower story. And then they have an upper story that deals with um, everything that, that's not knowable by science. So, so values and um, morality and free will and, of course, God and spiritual things are all in the upper story. And they, in a sense, this is an outworking of that divided concept of truth. Because uh, what, whether it's abortion or transgenderism, in both cases they're saying scientifically we can study the body and we can know objectively in what your what your sexual identity is, or we know that the fetus is human scientifically. So that's in the lower story. But then when they talk about yeah, but what moral status do you have? You know, who do you feel like in your you know in, in your sense of personal identity? These sort of non scientific things they're all in the upper story, and that's why they can contradict mm. because they have a divided concept of truth. Nah. Wow, there's so much. I wish we had two hours, uh, but this should showcase for those who are listening. Uh, she talks about these other things in other books, by the way, like Total Truth and Finding Truth. They were so helpful into thinking about these issues. And the more you train your church and the more you train yourself to think about these issues, the better ambassadors we can be when we go out and try to be, you know, ambassadors for the Lord, to be his representative. Um, okay, so what do we do? I mean, to, the last question I give you is why are, why aren't we doing these things as a church and, and and give me some give me some hard and concrete things from your book like you have stories in your book personal stories that are that you can read but you know somebody that's picked up your book you know and they and they they want to pick out a couple of things I guess what I'm asking is what can they take from your book that will be practical for the marketplace that they're going to be going into to reach these people that are lost with this worldview? I, I, still, I think, like I said at the beginning, the main thing is to change our language. I, when I speak to Christian audiences, they don't get it. Even if, if I say it repeatedly, they're so caught up in, but, but that's wrong and that's a sin. Yeah. And, they don't <laughs> have, and they haven't figured out that that's not, that's not going to work. And it's, it's okay for that not to work because I think a worldview approach works better. Mm. And so talking to people more in terms of, you have to realize that when you um, come out as gay or trans, you are adopting a worldview. You're not just following your feelings. You are, in fact, endorsing a worldview. Mm. And let's talk about that underlying worldview. Um, and, I, and I will give one more story because, because it's my favorite story in the book. <laughs> Um, it's in the chapter on homosexuality, and it's a young man named Sean who um, was uh, identified as homosexual from a young age and was ex exclusively attracted to other men. And um, the interesting thing about his story is that he grew up in a gay-affirming family, to use the common term now, and he attended a gay-affirming church. So he didn't think there was anything wrong with being homosexual. So how did he change his perspective? He said, uh, I, decided not, I, I decided to stop defining my identity by my sexual feelings, and I started to regard my physical body as who I was. Mm. So his goal was not to change his feelings, which rarely works. He said, my goal was to acknowledge what I already had, which was a male body, as a good gift from God. And eventually, my feelings started to follow suit. 
So that is really the question at the core of this debate. Do we live in a cosmos operating by blind material causes or a cosmos created by a loving creator, which is therefore intrinsically good? And I, I, I just had this conversation with one, of my, with one of my students. She did not think the world was intrinsically good because she said, well, the fall, the fall has, has defaced and destroyed it. I said, no, no, no. Christian worldview starts with creation and then fall and then redemption. And we get, we send the wrong message if we start with a fall because we, then people think, oh, Christianity teaches a low view of human dignity because it says we're just sinners and we're worthless and uh, we're nothing. That's what my students say. We're nothing. Mm. Um, and that, that's a, that's a truncated, that's a distorted view of Christianity because the Christian worldview starts with creation. And we have to help people to see that because of creation, humans, including our bodies, are handiwork of God, and therefore they have great dignity and value. Mm. And sin does not completely obliterate that. It's like, um, uh, if we were worthless, then sin wouldn't even be a problem, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you're worthless already, so what? So. <laughs> It's like having a cheap trinket. If it if it gets broken, you just toss it out. Sure. But if you have a, if you have a great masterpiece that somehow gets damaged, then you're horrified. So the only reason sin is so horrifying is because we are such we're God's masterpieces. Mm. And and of course, at the end of time, God's going to redeem us. If we were worthless, there'd be nothing to redeem. Sure. <laughs> so all that to say, this should be our main message: is that. Uh, especially on these issues that involve the body. The body is the handiwork of God and has great dignity, and the Christian ethic is based on that, not on a low view, not on this world is, is worthless and meaningless. In fact, it's the opposite. Right? We, we should be saying no to the non-Christian worldview that says we are thrown up out of the slime by mindless material forces, and, and it has no value or dignity at all. I mean, once you realize that that's what we're up against, we have a beautiful... Life affirming, no doubt, ethic can that we you, should be absolutely excited about. We can't wait to tell people about it. Yeah, wow. If, if I would love to tell a person that says that, just hold a baby in your hands, especially your own. Mm. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, if they were no good, like you said, I wouldn't discipline my kids because I, I, I the minute I saw Ben for the first time or Emily for the first time, I, they were it's it does something to you, it does something to your soul. You know, I think that's why my buddy Jay Watts, who's involved in pro-life ministry you know him and scott klusendorf you know with their ministry they, they want to show the images of of abortion because it's horrific right what we're doing to something that's so wonderfully and beautifully made well i'll say this thank you so much for your work uh, thank you so much i have used it you know i know other people have used it in those moments where you're probably in your room and you're thinking what am i doing here i'm here to tell you your work is is doing great things and you're in the academic world at Houston Baptist University, but you know Gary Habermas said his goal is always to get his work to be doing ministry, and your work is doing great ministry. And I would ask any pastor or any layperson who's listening to this podcast, go on Amazon, uh, you know, look your name up. It's Nancy Piercy, and um, last name is P A P E A R C E Y. And you'll find uh, a huge list of books that she has done. You've been such a blessing uh, to me and my family. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. It was good talking with you. You as well.